0: you'd have to be understanding with uh with a husband like me a nutcase like you yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) well hello everyone and welcome to the bible geeks podcast this is episode 20 i'm brian shealy i'm ryan joy And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We've got a fun show this episode. We are going to be talking just a little bit about some of our favorite things. But before we do, our last challenge was to find a time this past week to recharge. Did you
0: do that this week? I went on vacation. I maybe took it too much to heart. I just (laughs) left for the whole week. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, that was great. We just played lots of games and rested a lot. It was really nice. How about you? Did you recharge?
1: I did one of my favorite things, and that was take a nap on Sunday. Oh, nice. It was Father's Day. And I pulled executive privilege and I gave myself a two hour nap on the couch. So that was great. I guess I needed it, too. I've been fighting this cold or whatever this thing is. I don't know. It's sinus infection or something. Nothing better than a good, solid nap. Yeah. Well, it's our Jesus Said segment time. And I guess you have a verse for me
0: this week. I do. I do. So we're going to be talking about favorite things. As you said, I know you love the gospel of John. So we're in the gospel of John in chapter one, and I'm going to focus in in a minute on verse 51, the last verse of the first chapter. But this part of the story begins in verse 43, where Jesus comes to Galilee and he tells Philip, come follow me. And Philip goes and finds one of his buddies, Nathaniel, and says, we have found the guy that we've been looking for. (laughs) And And nathaniel says he's from nazareth can anything good come out of nazareth and i love philip's response he says come and see you know check it out for yourself and jesus sees nathaniel coming towards him and he says behold an israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit and nathaniel says how do you know me you know you never seen me before what do you know about me and jesus answered before philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And evidently, this wasn't like he just saw him across the field sitting under a fig tree because Nathaniel takes this as a miracle. He takes this as a sign or reason to believe that Jesus is something really special. He says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him in verse 50, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So what do you think?
1: I love that Jesus is almost funny here. (laughs) Almost funny. Do you think that, I I think Jesus maybe is funny. I'm pretty sure he is. (laughs) He's almost saying, is this all that it took to convince you? Like, you are (laughs) going to see some amazing things in the future, but this is all it took? Yeah. But then he gives him a window into what he will see in the future. And that window is so much more amazing than, oh, I just saw you over there he's going to see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, I don't know specifically when this scene will take place. I have a sense that it's probably during Jesus's baptism Mm. when the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove and they hear the voice of God. Maybe that's what he's talking about. Maybe it's a foreshadowing all the way to the end of Jesus's life at his ascension into heaven after his resurrection. But either way, whatever he's talking about here, they're going to see it. And that will be proof beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is the authoritative son
0: of God. Yeah, I love your word, opening a window. I'm looking at a window right now out into the outside But imagine if that wall that this window is breaking into were our reality itself. And that's basically what he's saying is this whole universe is going to get opened up and there's going to be a connection to this other world, the heavens. And I think that's interesting, the two examples you gave which really were moments in Jesus' ministry when heaven opened up. I always viewed it kind of more generically that Mm -hmm. in Jesus, heaven and earth are being connected in a new and amazing way, even including today what happens through Jesus as heaven has opened up. You know, the veil has been rent and we have access to heaven through the son of man and the place where jacob's ladder occurred that this is referring to where heaven opened up and the angels of god were ascending and descending on a ladder that came down upon jacob himself the place where that occurred jacob called it bethel the house of god like this is a sacred place because this is where heaven opened up and God came down and lived in earth. I mean, he came down and made a connection between heaven and earth, and that is Jesus. Yeah,
1: well, that's all good. I love John. Definitely one of my favorite books in the Bible. And speaking of things that I love, we're going to get into our segment here, a few of our favorite things.
0: These are a few of my favorite
1: Normally, when we do this segment, we have a smattering of things that we want to bring up as our favorite things, but we figured on this episode, being episode 20, maybe we'll do a little bit of, I don't know, getting to know you and find out a little bit more about some of the things that we love and why we love them. So we've prepared a few questions for each other. So we're going to run through
0: those. Can I get started with a question that ties in with our Jesus said? Sure. Go ahead. Okay. You have said several times that you love the gospel of John. (laughs) What do you love about the gospel of John? Yeah. Well, it would seem that
1: the gospel of John was written later in John's life, probably after all of the other gospels were written. Yeah. And it feels like this gospel that is focused and concise and has a very targeted purpose. And the purpose is really to highlight and prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the son of God. He's not taking Luke's approach where Luke gives every possible detail in all the genealogies and every miracle he can think of. John really is targeted and focused in continuing to prove that Jesus is the Son of God. He doesn't list every single miracle that Jesus did. He uses seven miracles throughout the book of John. And probably one of my favorite sections in John is when Jesus is talking about the witnesses. Mm. Here are four reasons why you should believe that I am the Son of God. He talks about John the Baptist being one of those witnesses who would testify on his behalf the miracles that he did, the scriptures, the prophets long ago that prophesied about him, and then the words of God himself. These four things that he brings up here in John 5, these are the reasons why you should believe in me. And if you continue to go back to John 5, as you read through the book of John, you see over and over and over again, him highlighting each of these areas. And That's, I think, why I really love this book, because it's focused and really just has so much richness in terms of proving this singular point that Jesus is the Son of God.
0: I heard somebody describe it once as Luke and Matthew and Mark are telling the story like, you know, they've heard it and they need to relay it, whereas John is going and taking all of these stories and sitting under a fig tree like Mm -hmm. Nathaniel and just thinking about them for years and just reflecting on them. And then he comes out of it and says, okay, here's the deeper meaning in these things. And here's a story people are missing about what was happening with Jesus. You know, it's a very reflective way to explain the events because it's more than the events that he's telling
1: Okay, so what are your favorite things about studying through the
0: Old Testament? Ooh. (laughs) Well, we just saw one of my favorite things about it, which is that the New Testament writers are engaging the Old Testament in such a fascinating and edifying way. And so you get more than the sum of its parts whenever you put together what the New Testament writers are saying and what the Old Testament writers are saying. Because when you put them together, when you put Jacob's ladder together with Jesus, one sentence about this and who he is, and then you start to see how they interplay with each other, it's so beautiful. And it helps me to see beyond the obvious truth that I can easily dismiss. And like Nathaniel, go sit under the fig tree and have to think about what does this mean? And in that process of trying to search out and reflect on What is this difficult connection that Jesus is making? I learned so much more than if I just heard an easy explanation or jumped to something that was simple. I talk about the New Testament allusions and references and quotations to the Old Testament sometimes like they're a well that is just dug right in the page of your Bible. And it's like, you know, you're coming to this and you've been on flat ground, you think, and you understand the terrain. And then there's this well that, you know, you could go a little bit down, but it just keeps going down and you keep lowering that bucket. And then you pull that water up and it is so refreshing. It's so satisfying to kind of understand what was down way below this reference that Jesus or Paul or somebody's making. So that's one thing. Anyway, I could talk a whole episode about what I love about studying the Old Testament, as I'm sure you could. But it's just that connection between the Old Testament and New Testament. Really, I don't think we can understand the New Testament without understanding the Old Testament. It's like reading the—some people I know just went and saw Avengers Endgame. (laughs) And it's like, how can you understand that movie without seeing at least some of the other movies Right. And so you know, trying to understand who Jesus is without understanding the problem he's here to solve and the story that he is the climax to, is like trying to you know understand why Tony Stark was the perfect person to. I'm not getting. Never mind. No spoilers. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> anyway, so um, yeah, it's just so wonderful. Is why <laughs> I love studying it through the Old Testament. I think what you're saying
1: ties into what the Hebrew writer is really talking about when he starts talking about Melchizedek. Yeah, He says, you should be teachers by now. You should know all about Melchizedek and why this really small, tiny story in the Old Testament has such important implications in the New Testament. Like, you should understand this connection, yeah. but they didn't get it. And he calls them out for not getting it. Our very first house... We had a dirt lot next to us and Mm -hmm. it was just as flat as could be. You know, you could park your cars over there. And one day we found this small hole in the ground and we looked into the hole and it was like 40 feet deep. It was the deepest hole under there. And I think it was some sort of like septic system or whatever, you know, long had been abandoned. Mm. But that's kind of that same idea is like there is something under the surface here and Mm -hmm. it goes so much deeper than you even can imagine. And on the surface, all you see is this tiny, tiny little hole. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what a lot of these Old Testament verses are about, and that making those connections gives you a deeper, richer understanding to some small, tiny reference in the New Testament. Yeah. Well, let's
0: change gears here a little bit. So... I had the privilege of being with you and your lovely bride at your wedding, and uh, Sherilyn is one of Adrian, my wife, and I's favorite people. And I am interested in why she's one of your favorite people, and what do you <laughs> what do you love about being married to your bride? Well,
1: having somebody there who knows me well enough to be able to deal with how terrible I can be sometimes. <laughs> you know how how you have these relationships with other people, friends or acquaintances out in the world and at any moment it feels like such a tenuous situation where if you say the wrong thing, if you do the wrong thing, somebody might write you off or think about you in some way. But just knowing that there's always somebody there who has seen you at your worst, who's seen you at maybe your best sometimes and who's willing to let it ride. Through those kinds of difficult times. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I have certainly gone through my patches of difficult times where I wasn't very loving, I wasn't very kind, I wasn't doing the things that I needed to be doing, and just knowing that there is someone who is willing to overlook those things or to help me through those things or to be a sounding board in those moments. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of my favorite things about being married to such an understanding person like Sherilyn is just this ease and comfort that I have knowing that we're in this for the long haul and... Mm -hmm. Difficult times are not going to rock the boat as much as they might with other relationships. So that would be one thing. You'd have to be understanding with... A, with a husband like me? A nutcase like you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's, it's true. All right. So on the topic of family, I'm going to ask you, what is your favorite thing about being a dad to
0: four children? Oh, It's falling in love with each individual one of them. So right now, Evie is one, and she, over the last six months, just slowly, as they do, has become this interesting, charming, complicated human being. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't really connect honestly, to a kid whenever they're in their first six months of life. I love them because they're my child, but they're not people yet in the sense that I know who you are and every bit you know them, you appreciate their unique way of being in the world. So that's my favorite thing it's probably similar to the favorite thing that someone with one kid or eight kids has it's just falling in love with your kid and having that relationship of a dad and a kid knowing them is the gift of being a parent in some ways that's awesome okay so uh we've talked several times about morning rituals Oh, and yes. you are, I think, as a morning person and a more orderly person and consistent person than I am, really good with your consistency in your morning ritual and you really treasure it. And that makes me more and more fascinated by it and want to get a little bit of that from myself. And so um, <laughs> can you tell me about what are your favorite things about your morning ritual? If I had to boil it down to one thing, and this almost
1: sounds selfish, but I'll say it anyway, I think my favorite thing about my morning ritual is just being alone. Mm -hmm. I'm an only child, and I love being alone, which seems weird because I love my family, but I also love being alone, Mm -hmm. and the morning time for me is the one time in the entire day where I know I'm going to be all by myself. And there's a lot of freedom in that. There's a lot of clarity in that. There's a lot of focus in that. And just having that ability to get things done in the morning, get up, make my coffee, read through the scriptures, eat that frog, (laughs) that whole idea, you know, just pick off that one really important thing that you need to do that day to kind of kickstart the day. That is just some of my favorite times of any day is that opportunity where I'm not distracted. That's probably one of my favorite things about the morning time and my morning ritual is just that time. There's nothing to distract me except for myself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And if I can focus enough on what's most important and put systems in place to be able to just get myself started the right way, that's one of the biggest reasons why I love the morning time.
0: Mm-hmm. Can I give you another one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I just with that and with your systems and stuff, what do you love about simplifying and getting organized?
1: Well, like I just said, I'm easily distractible. And sometimes for me, even just the presentation of something can be distracting, or which is probably why I love the Gospel of John <laughs> because. Mm-hmm. I feel like there is a very straightforward, very clear direction and intention. And I can get on board with it because I know where he's going. I know Mm -hmm. exactly what his intention is. And I feel like for me, that's probably one of the things that I gravitate to most is just having structure, having order, and simplifying things down in such a way to where it's not going to surprise you. Mm. If I'm putting together some points in a lesson or some system in place to be able to do this or that, it's easily communicated. Everybody can get on board with it. There's not surprises in terms of how things work. I think that's what I mostly gravitate toward is that simplification of things to where You're not distracted by the process itself. You're not distracted by the presentation itself. You're just seeing the focused goal of whatever it is that is being communicated or the system that we're using or whatever. I don't like surprises. And so that's something that just helps me and hopefully it helps other people.
0: That is so interesting because I've never thought about the surprise idea. I feel like if I do think about surprises, I think that's what I need is more surprises in my design, in my lessons, in my, you know, cause I'm trying to grab people and get yeah. this truth across in them. But what you're saying is really helpful. I think as an idea, I think I need to fold in more. Having one anomaly is a good thing, but if you have five anomalies, then it's just chaos and nobody knows what to do with it. So setting up for the surprise with all the other orderly things that have no surprise, it's predictable, it's as it should be, it just works. Yeah, that's really cool. But the surprise idea as a principle of design, no surprises, I think that's a Radiohead song. (laughs) So, <laughs> no alarms, no surprises. Oh
1: boy. That's good. Yeah. I do like surprises. You know, I do like throwing things out that kind of make people turn their head a little bit, but you have to be really careful with that and put it in the framework, like you said, of something that is predictable
0: enough. It's really helpful as an idea. I'm going to be working with that in my brain as I'm designing things for a while now.
1: <laughs> okay. So let's close this thing out. I'll give you one more Okay, And then uh, we'll wrap this up. So you are a full-time preacher. Mm. And I would be really interested to hear what your favorite thing about being a full-time preacher is. Well, to
0: quote another movie, to begin with, everything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I get to study. That was whenever I was a teenager and I thought about, preaching full time. That was the thing that appealed to me is Mm -hmm. there's so much to learn. Understanding the truth seems so important. And I just always wanted to be studying. And what if I could just study and share what I'm studying as like my life, (laughs) that would be cool. But over time, I've really come to more than the study, appreciate being an instrument in developing people. And how do I take that thing that God deeply wants us to get and then to do something with that? How do I get that across in a way that I would be able to access it if I was just listening to somebody? You know, like how do I pull somebody in and then make this so clear and so compelling that they get? the thing that is so amazing about it and then want to start to let that change who they are. And I love visiting people. I love doing one-on-one studies. I love doing group studies in homes. I love pretty much every part of it. The only thing that I missed about my other job that I did before this, which was in an advertising agency, whenever I came and started doing this work is the collaboration And I get that with my wife. I get that with other people in the congregation. Now I get that a lot with you, which is really great. As I
1: really consider more and more the role of a preacher or anyone really who is going out and teaching other people, Mm -hmm. Jesus sent out his disciples two by two. Mm -hmm. And even Paul was constantly working together with other people. He had Timothy, he had Titus, he had all these people who he was constantly leaning on, he was training them, he was learning from them, having other people that you can talk to, that you can bounce stuff off of. I think that's one of the biggest benefits that we have in the church, that's one of the biggest benefits that we have in Christ, is just having people there who you can talk through stuff with. And like I said, I love to be alone but at the same time, there's nothing better than getting stuff out of my brain and sending it off to someone else to help clarify what I'm thinking and work through some of the things that I'm dealing with.
0: Yeah, I think in a lot of congregations, the preacher gets separated and viewed in a different class in some ways. Like People are their friends, but they're still the preacher. So they're sort of like not one of us. I hate to say this. Mm-hmm. I think in past decades i've seen this and i've seen preachers who are my friends be affected by that and also then the work there's sort of the church's work and then there's the preacher's work and i don't feel that here and i think that that's really changing for the better in a lot of ways in the church where the elders the deacons the evangelists the teachers we're all just parts of a body that's all doing the same job really well, and it takes a little bit of pressure off
1: of an evangelist in those kind of situations where you, you're you not viewed as like the authority on all things. Yeah, You know, this is something that you're working through just like everyone else is working through. And right. I think that is a shift that we probably need to have more of uh, within the church is just realizing that the elders are people, the preacher is. Is a person, you know, all mm-hmm. these people who you might be tempted to put on this pedestal, they're all just people <laughs> and yeah. they're all dealing with stuff just like you are. If you prick us, do we not bleed? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man. <laughs> okay, we may have gone off the rails. Uh, it sounds like it's about time to wrap this thing up.
1: Yeah, I would agree <laughs> with that. All right, so let's get into our challenge for this week. We've talked about here on this episode just a few of our favorite things and maybe it would be helpful for you this week to connect with someone. A few weeks ago when we were talking about the common rule, we talked about having you know, one hour sit down with a friend or someone that you want to get to know better. Sit down with someone this week and ask them, what are your favorite things about fill in the blank? And get to know them a little bit better and find out more about them and connect with them in more meaningful ways. And hopefully that will strengthen your connection with other people in the church. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into the Bible Geeks podcast. You can find us on our website at BibleGeeks.fm. You can also find us on social media. We are slash the Bible Geeks, wherever you might find us. And until next week, everyone, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom.